0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: We're holding page 501. The soul in heaven was perfect. And for the soul to descend into a conscious state, into a body, the a physical form, For the soul, it's a traumatic experience. It's a descent. It's almost a a caricature of what the soul once was. And even the tzaddik, the complete tzaddik, who reaches the highest level of ecstasy and pure pleasure and sublime pleasure and has totally transformed and sublimated his, his energy into godliness, yet it's no comparison. To the the way the soul the disembodied soul experienced godliness so what's the point why did the soul come down into this world even the highest level the most perfect person the complete tzaddik the one or two in every generation the perfect the ideal the paragon can't even come close to the experience of the soul when the soul was in heaven So what would be the point of the struggle? The soul coming down to this world and struggling for what? To achieve, to to be downgraded? It's a downgrade for the soul. The highest spiritual level, the highest level of spirituality that you can experience in meditation and ecstasy you can experience in this world is a downgrade from where the soul was in heaven. So what's the point? Why would the soul come into this world? To do what? To accomplish what? And therefore he says the soul did not come for itself the purpose of the soul descending into this world was in order to elevate and to refine the animal soul, the eagle soul, to refine the body. And when the soul accomplishes its mission and accomplishes its purpose, the soul is elevated through that experience. Because it's only when the soul engages in the body as it does through all the mitzvot, which are all physical and material. When the soul, by the soul engaging in the body, the soul is connected and touches the very essence of God. The soul fulfills the whole purpose of creation, which is to draw down God's essence and to reveal God's essence in this physical world by transforming the material into into the spiritual, by transforming darkness into light. So he says, based on this introduction, now we can understand. It's going to explain why the Torah makes such an emphasis, places such an emphasis on tzedakah and charity, on tzedakah. in light of the above.
2: In light of the above, where it was explained that the sacred quality of the act of mitzvah lies in their elevating effect on the body and vital soul. We can understand why our faith did so greatly extol the virtue of charity, declaring it equal to all other mitzvahs together. In all of the Talmud Yerushalami, charity is called simply the commandment, for such was the idiomatic expression commonly used to refer to charity, the commandment. Because charity is the core of all mitzvahs of action and surpasses them all, for the purpose of all these mitzvah is only to elevate one's animal soul to Hashem, since it is his vital soul that performs them and clothes itself in them, so as to be absorbed into the blessed Ein Self, clothed in them. Now you will find no other mitzvah in which the vital soul is clothed to the same extent as the mitzvah of charity. For in all other mitzvah, only one faculty of the vital soul is clothed, Faculty of action in the hand, donning, filling, or holding in his etrah, and even this one faculty is closed in the mitzvah, only while the mitzvah is being performed. In the case of charity, however, which one gives from the proceeds of the toil of his hands, surely all the strength of his vital soul is clothed in the effort of his labor, or in any other occupation by which he earned this money, which he now distributes for charity. Thus, when he gives to charity this money, to which he applied all the strength of his vital soul, his entire vital soul sends to Hashem, hence the superiority of charity over other mitzvahs. But this seems to imply that if one does not invest all his strength into earning his livelihood, his charity locks lacks his quality, to which the altar Rebbe rejoins, even he who does not earn his livelihood from his labors, nevertheless, since he could have purchased with this money that he gave for charity, sustenance for life of his vital soul, he is actually giving his soul's life to Hashem in the form of charity. Thus, charity comprises and therefore elevates more energy of the vital soul than any other mitzvah. Money,
1: money is the ultimate ego trip. (coughs) a person's identity is tied up in his money money is more than just you know what I can buy with the money your identity is tied up with your money your higher earned money it shows on your on your skill on your so for a person to give up your money and to give it to Tadaka, it's the ultimate transformation taking ego which is the source could be the source and is the source of everything that's evil and negative in this world you know if people were egoless this world would be a garden of Eden there would be no jealousy there would be no envy there would be no conflicts there would be no war most psychologists would be out of business if there was no ego we wouldn't have any problems it would be a beautiful loving place genuine place it would be heaven so ego is the source of all conflict and strife. It tears families apart, it tears people apart, it tears businesses apart, partnerships, money, ego. The greater the ego, the greater the conflict. And here you're taking ego, which is the source of conflict, and you're taking it and giving to Dhaka, creating a bridge to connect to help another person in need because when a person is in need there's nothing as powerful as when you physically help him you give him money and you put your hand into your pocket and you give your money you build you cement relationships you build such a powerful bridge because when that person needs physical help he doesn't need your tears your empathy it's one thing you cry on his shoulders and you, you give him your empathy but it's another thing when you stick your hand in your pocket and you actually give that money part with your hard-earned money and give it to that person and you're helping a person in need. The relationship that you're cementing, the closeness, the intimacy that you're creating is so powerful. There's nothing in the world as powerful. So you're taking the very source of friction and conflict, ego, and you're transforming it. Money itself, the source, the ultimate ego symbol, and you're transforming it into a powerful connector, into a powerful uniter. People ask if God is perfect. God created the perfect world. Why did God create the world so lopsided that there should be haves and have nots? There should be so many needy people. Why didn't God create the world that everyone should be self sufficient? Everyone should be a rugged individual. Wouldn't that be more compassionate? And the answer is on the contrary. Because God is perfect, He created the most perfect world of all. He created us, He gave us the ability to become givers, to become creators. To become partners with Him in creation. Because when you take the initiative, you take your money that you've earned through your hard work, your hard labor, your creativity, your ambition, your whole identity is tied up in your money. And it's a measure of your success. And it's a measure of who you are as a person. And you're able to take that and use your creativity and your initiative to create good, to help someone in need, you become godlike. You become godly. You become like Hashem. You become a giver and a creator. That's the ultimate gift that God could bestow on us, to make us a partner with Him and equal, equal with God, that we should become godly and godlike. We should also have godly qualities. We should be givers and creators. So when you use your ego, you use your money, ego, money, the ultimate ego symbol, and you use it to create then you've transformed the negative into positive. You've transformed the darkness into light. You have taken the physical world, the material world, and you've transformed it into something divine, into something God. That's the ultimate purpose of creation. This is what mitzvot are all about. This is why the soul descended into this world, into human consciousness, into human form, into the physical body. So tzedakah really captures what the entire Torah Mitzvah mitzvot are all about. What creation is all about. What the whole purpose of existence is all about. So when you give tzedakah, you're actually epitomizing what the mitzvah is all about. That's why in the Jerusalem Talmud, whenever he refers to the mitzvah, without any adjective, there's 613 mitzvah. The mitzvah. Which mitzvah is he talking about? We know. It goes without saying. We know exactly which mitzvah he's talking about. There's only one mitzvah which he's going to say. The mitzvah. The mitzvah that captures the essence of all the mitzvah which is tzedakah. Because it's about engaging in the physical world, not running away from the world, not escaping from the world, not looking at this world as a necessary evil. In we have to earn money. In we have to pay our bills. In six days a week we have to work. No. That's the whole purpose of creation. You spend all this time and all this effort in earning that money, because when you take that money and you give tzedakah, that's the ultimate purpose of creation. You are fulfilling the whole, what it's all about. You're on a mission. This is the essence. You're really getting to the crux and the essence of what what it's all about, what life is all about. You really get what it's all about. Because the answer is not to escape. The answer is to transform the very darkness itself, to take the lowest, the crustiest, the coarsest, and to transform that itself into something divine. To change it, It's very substance from something crusty and coarse and materialistic and egotistical to something divine, something unified. How do you do that? When you give tzedakah, that's the magical thing of tzedakah. When you give tzedakah, you've taken that money, which could be the source of all evil and negativity and strife and conflict and jealousy and hatred and self-absorption, and you've taken that and transformed it into something selfless, divine, godly, good, wholesome that simple act of taking money. Even if it's a penny. Every time you take a penny. With this penny you can... You a can, person who hasn't eaten. With this penny you can buy something and you can save a life. Every penny, it's, it's an ego symbol. Money, the ultimate ego symbol. You've transformed it into a mitzvah. The mitzvah of tzedakah. This is the theme of all the mitzvah. This is what all the mitzvahs are all about. Why the soul has to engage all of its organs. 248 organs. Engage in the material engage in the, in the um, animal soul engage in the material and do a mitzvah with it and to transform the material into something divine to something God to something spiritual okay, continue. this is why page 503
3: this is why our sages have said that charity hastens the messianic redemption for with one act of charity one elevates a great deal of the vital soul more of its faculties and powers, in fact, might elevate to many other active myths combined. As mentioned earlier in this chapter, the messianic era is a result of our effort in purifying and elevating the vital soul. Charity which affects this elevation in such great measure does hasten the redemption.
1: So he said earlier that how do we bring about the redemption? We create the redemption. We bring about the redemption. There's an active program, how we bring about the redemption, and that's called Torah mitzvah. And we do a mitzvah, and we take a physical object and we transform it into a holy object. We are bringing about the redemption, because we're taking a portion of this coarse, degraded, materialistic world and we're transforming its very substance into something divine, into something holy and godly. He said, so there's no mitzvah like tzedakah when it comes to transforming the world. Because when you do tzedakah, you're not just, you're not just transforming. With the other mitzvahs, you're transforming an aspect, a detail, one organ, one part of your life. When you, but through tzedakah, you're affecting your whole ego is affected, Your whole being is affected. And therefore, the whole world is affected. And that's why the redemption will be a permanent redemption not a temporary redemption, like the, like the redemption from Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, when we reverted back into exile. But here, this redemption will be a permanent redemption because we will have transformed the very source of negativity. The very source of negativity itself will become completely transformed. In Egypt, when they left Egypt, God crushed the ego. He crushed Egypt. He crushed ego. He crushed coarseness. He crushed arrogance. As a result, the Egyptians were crushed and the Jew was redeemed. Mashiach will come. God will not crush the world. The world will be transformed and changed. And that's why the redemption will be a permanent redemption. How do we go about achieving this redemption? By changing the world. That's why after the exodus from Egypt, God gave us a program, Torah and Mitzvot. Through Torah and Mitzvot, we actually change the world. The world is not the same. The world itself becomes changed. The darkness itself becomes transformed into light. The materials, coarse, crass, substance itself becomes transformed into something holy and godly. And the ultimate transformation is achieved through tzedakah. When you take money, the ultimate egoism, the old being, identity is tied up into your money. And you're able to part with that money and give away to tzedakah and do something selfless with it and godly and connect and cement relationships and create unity. Taking the very force of evil itself, the negativity itself, and transforming it into positive. Changing its very substance. This is so powerful. This hastens and achieves the Mashiach. That's why the Rebbe, at the last years of his life, the Rebbe spent every single Sunday giving out thousands of dollars. Giving out, the tzedakah, encouraging tzedakah, because the power of tzedakah, the power of tzedakah, as he, he always said, the power of tzedakah, the hasten Mashiach, is so powerful. When you give a dollar to charity, when you give a, that act is such a powerful act. You're transforming the whole world. You're taking the coarseness of the world, the crassness of the world, the egotism, the self-absorption, the self-centeredness, everything that's tied up in money. We know now how people worship money. Money has become the new god. As the Al-Tarebi once said, the Talmud says that the rabbis of the Great Assembly destroyed the evil inclination for idolatry. And they substituted it for the evil inclination of money. And the Alter Rebbe says, I'm not sure they did a wise thing. <laughs> because, because money is an idol. People worship their money. In God we trust. They worship the dollar bill, the almighty green dollar bill. You know, people have no life. Their whole life is their money. At least when you worship an idol, at least you believe in something greater than yourself. When you worship the almighty dollar, you're worshiping yourself. There's nothing, me, myself, and I. So when you're able to take money, which your whole ego is wrapped up in your money, and you're able to give that away to tzedakah, what a powerful thing. What a powerful transformation. A core transformation. You're transforming the very coarseness and crassness, the very essence of what this world is all about. It's all runs around money, ego. And to make something divine and godly and good with it, that's the power of tzedakah. Wow. People only realize the power of tzedakah. They'll be lining up out the door to give the lessons in tanya.com. <laughs> But now this leads us to a question. The question is, so on one hand we just explained very powerfully, very potently, how tzedakah is the ultimate mitzvah, not just a necessary evil that we have to engage in the material world. This is the whole purpose of creation on the contrary. Something magical, something special, something divine happens through our engagement. Even though we may not experience it and feel it. Because Mashiach hasn't come yet. And for us, till Mashiach comes, it's a constant struggle. It's a daily struggle. So we're here, we're struggling the rest of our lives. But he says, don't for a minute, don't please don't not appreciate it. You have to appreciate what you're accomplishing, what you're doing, how significant it is that you're doing. That you are fulfilling the purpose of creation. Every time you take that darkness and you engage in that darkness and in that struggle, and you take another portion of this world and you take a portion of your own ego and you transform another organ in your body and you transform and do a mitzvah with it, you're taking another portion of this world and you're transforming it, its very substance into something divine, something godly, and something holy. Something magical is happening. Whether you feel it or not, whether you're experiencing it or not, but know, know that that's the truth. And when you live and you charge with that sense of mission and realizing that you are fulfilling the divine purpose of creation, especially in times of darkness, especially in our generation, our day and age. So that gives you all the courage and all the strength that you need to lift up your head, lift your head high, and to march forward with confidence, with joy, knowing that you are fulfilling the whole purpose of creation. Well, the question then is, how do we reconcile that with the statements in the Talmud? The Talmud says that studying Torah is the equivalent of all the mitzvot put together. We say it every morning in the prayers, by way of introduction. We wake up, we read the first mission, the second tractate in Payah, and it says there, that Talmud Torah, the mitzvah, studying Torah, is Kulam, is equal equivalent of all the other mitzvah put together. The question is why? Studying Torah is something more spiritual, cerebral. Here we just finished explaining that the whole purpose of creation is not the emphasis on the spiritual. The emphasis is on the physical, on the material, on the ordinary. On the person who has to struggle. On engaging in the darkness, engaging in the material, coarse, crass world that we live in. That's the whole purpose. So the emphasis is on the deed, on the action. Not on the cerebral, on the spiritual, on the meditative. And yet here, the Talmud says that the studying of Torah... Is the equivalent of all the mitzvahs. So which one is it? You know, We Jews are used to contradictions, but which one is it? Is it, the, is it the mitzvah that's the ultimate purpose? Or is studying of Torah superior than the mitzvah? And that's what he's going to explain now.
0: See, at any rate, the charity is superior to all other mitzvahs, including Torah study. But here, one may object, as for the statement of our rabbis, that Torah study outweighs all other mitzvah, including charity, how can this be reconciled with what was said above? This is because the study of Torah employs speech and thought, which are the inner garments of the vital soul, unlike action, which is external. Thus, only Torah study, and not other mitzvah and suffuse the inner garments of the soul with the light of Torah.
1: The studying of Torah touches a person a lot more intimately. Just like your thoughts are much more intimate than your action, They're more a reflection of you than your actions. Your actions are very external to you. I don't know anything about the person from his actions. The person can be working in a factory 9 to 5 for 50 years and I don't know anything about them external when a person speaks i know something more about them speech is a little more intimate thought is even more intimate that's why you can't stop thinking you can stop talking you can't stop thinking because it's it's so intimate with the person thoughts are much more intimate to the person what a person thinks about what thoughts pop into your head a person is a fine person, they have finer thoughts. A person is not such a fine person, they have not such fine thoughts. Um, so thought and speech are much more intimate to the person. So when a person studies Torah, the, the action of the mitzvot only affect the external part of the person. Your actions. The external part of your soul. It's not an intimate part of your soul. But when you speak the words of Torah, and you think the words of Torah... You're engaging a much more intimate part of your soul. So in that sense, the studying of Torah is the equivalent of all the mitzvah, Because you're engaging a much deeper level of yourself as being engaged, is touching the divine. When you do a mitzvah, only an external part of yourself is touching the divine. So we're not talking so much about the effect that the divine has When you do a mitzvah, the effect is magical because you're transforming the material itself into something divine and godly. But in relation to the soul, it's very external to the soul. An external part of you is touching the divine, is being touched by the divine. But when you're studying Torah, an intimate part of you is touching the divine and is being touched by the divine. Your thought and your speech. In that sense, Torah is superior to all the mitzvot combined. All of the myths combined combine can't reach the same place that Tayrah can reach, can connect you. Connect you on that intimate level. That you on an intimate level your soul should touch the divine on such a deep level. You can't. Only through Tayrah you have the ability to touch the divine on such a deep personal intimate level. That's one explanation. Another explanation, furthermore, continue.
0: Furthermore, the very substance and essence of the intellectual faculties of Chabad the
1: Chachma Bina, Bina
0: that. of the Kalipat Noga and the vital soul are actually absorbed into holiness when one studies Torah with concentration and intelligence
1: when a person studies Torah <laughs> the studying of Torah engages your mind your concentration and your intelligence and when you truly understand something, it actually changes your mind. You understand something, something that's holy. You internalize it. You digest it. It becomes part of you. Once you understand something, that's the nature of the intelligence, of intellect. The nature of intellect is that it unifies. You become unified with it. Once you understand it, it becomes part of you, inseparable. Just like when you eat, and you digest it, and the food is transformed into your blood. It becomes part of, part of you. You can no longer separate The food from you becomes an inseparable part of you. So, too, when you digest, when you understand something intellectually and you digest it and absorb it, it becomes absorbent in you, it becomes inseparable from you. Once you understand 2 plus 2 is 4, you can never understand otherwise. Someone can torture you to say that 2 plus 2 is 6. But you can never understand otherwise because it becomes part of you, an inseparable part of you. That's the nature of intelligence. So when you, when you study Torah and you understand Torah with the human mind, with a human capacity, but your mind has become transformed because your mind now understands the divine wisdom. It has absorbed the divine wisdom. So it has become inseparable from the divine wisdom. So your mind has been transformed. So there's been like a core transformation. You understand things differently now. You see things differently now. You understand God's perspective. You see things from God's point of view. So it changes you. The mitzvah doesn't change you. The mitzvah is like a garment. It's external. You can put on a garment. You can take it off. See, even after you do the mitzvah, it doesn't change you. It doesn't affect you. Especially if we learn that the benedit, which is 99.9% of us, can not truly be changed. We can do mitzvah all our life, and yet it won't change us. It won't transform us. It won't change our character. It won't change our personality. It won't change our core. We'll still be tempted by materialism. We'll still be drawn and attracted to materialism. We don't have the power to achieve a core transformation. We can't change our essence. We can't change our subconscious. Subconsciously, we're still attracted to darkness and still attracted to materialism and to coarseness and to crassness. We may choose to lead a disciplined life and we have the capacity to and we're obligated to but that only affects our external behavior, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. But these are all like garments. You can put on, you can take off, you can take on. But it cha- hasn't changed. When you study Torah, however, it changes you. It changes your mind. It changes your perception. It changes your understanding. How you see things. Suddenly you start seeing things from God's point of view. So Torah has the power to change the person. Every person. Because every person has a mind. Every person has the ability to think, to comprehend. See, even the benity, who doesn't have the power to be transformed emotionally and psychologically. And spiritually, but they do have a mind and do have the, do have the ability to study Torah. And when you study Torah, it changes your mind. And it changes you. Because it's very in- intimate. It's very personal. It's very, it's very internal. So we have the capacity to be transformed into, into something holy. Our mind should be transformed into something divine, to something holy. Our understanding of perception should be able to absorb something divine and something godly which changes our mind and changes our perception. You can't say the same through mitzvah. Mitzvah don't change you. Mitzvahs are magical. When you do a mitzvah, you're touching the divine and you're doing something divine and you're transforming the very essence of the very material of this world as being transformed into something godly and holy, especially through tzedakah. The equivalent of all the other mitzvah. But all the mitzvot, including tzedakah, can compare to Torah in regards to the idea that the, mitzvot, that the Torah changes you. Mitzvah cannot change you. It only touches you externally, but it doesn't change the person. While the Torah changes the person, it changes your mind. Your mind becomes holy. Your mind absorbs holiness. And becomes transformed and becomes holy. The mind itself becomes holy. When you do a mitzvah with your hand, your hand when the hand is doing the mitzvah, at that moment the hand is holy, but the hand doesn't become holy. Your emotions don't become holy. Emotionally psychologically, you don't become holy. You can do a mitzvah with all your life and you don't feel so holy. But when you study Torah, your mind becomes holy, it transforms you, it changes you. That's the superior quality of Torah. Only through Torah could we accomplish this change and this transformation. That's why Torah is superior to all the other mitzvot combined. Nelly, you want to continue? intellectual faculties.
4: The intellectual faculties applied Torah studies are observed in the holiness of the mitzvah of Torah studies, and thereby ascend from the realm of noga to which they previously belonged, being a part of the vital soul, to the realm of holiness. Although it was explained in chapter 12 that the Benoni is capable of transforming to holiness only the garments of the animal soul, not the soul's faculties themselves, there is no contradiction here. The latter statement applies only to the Midot, the emotional attributes of the animal soul. The Benoni is indeed incapable of transforming the Midot to holiness. Chabad, however, can be transformed even by the Beinunim. The Altar Rebbe now explains the difference between them. Although Beinunim are incapable of mastering the substance and essence of the Midot, Chesed, Gvura, Tiferet, and so on, so as to transform them into holiness. This is because the evil of Kulka is stronger in the Midot than in Chabad. The intellectual faculty, since on that level of midot, they, the klipot, draw more vitality from holiness than they do on the level of chabad, as is known to students of the Kabbalah. The shattering of the vessels which gave rise to the existence of klipot occurred primarily in the midot, and it is therefore more difficult to elevate the evil of midot. The evil of chabad, however. Can be transformed to good through
1: intensive Torah study. We know it's much more difficult to change a character trait or your personality trait than it is to change your mind. You know, the mind, you know, what's a greater reflection of the person? Is it the mind or is it the character, the person, the heart? It's the heart. A person could be brilliant, but it has no very little impact on their personality or character. Many of the most brilliant people are clueless about their own personality and character, They're very sharp at everyone else's personality and character, very perceptive and very penetrating, but are completely oblivious and about their own personality and character. It's much more difficult to change one attribute, one emotional attribute, jealousy, anger, hatred, pettiness, than it is to change your mind, to change an idea. An idea is abstract. How much of your identity is tied up with the idea? But your personality, that hits home. That's closer to home. To change, you want me to change my personality, change my temper. To change my whatever personality or emotional temperament I have and I have to struggle with that's much more difficult so and that's why the Benini can't change it most people can't really change achieve a core change in their personality in their temperament in their character it's extremely extremely difficult we don't have the power to change to achieve a core transformation but we do have the power to change our mind. You change an idea. Change your underlying assumption. Change your idea, change your perspective, change your outlook. That's doable. That's much more that's doable. That we can do So there's much more energy. Much more energy in the midas And the ego is much more tied up in the, in the emotions, in the character than it is in the mind. The mind is abstract. So I can understand abstractly, I can understand the way things should be, the way I ought to be, the way I would like to be. It doesn't necessarily translate into action, into into the way I feel. Change the way I feel, that's that's a a a lot more difficult. So that explains why the Chabad could be transformed, while the emotions cannot be transformed. All the mitzvot in the world do not have the power to truly change my emotions. So it's external. You don't really have the power to really change me, transform me. But the Torah, which affects my mind, through the mind I do have the power to be transformed. I can start thinking in a holy way. I can start seeing things in a holy way, perceiving the world in a holy way, even if I am not holy. That's the nature of intellect. It's detached, it's abstract. even though I'm not holy, but I can go very far with my mind. With your mind, you don't have to actually be on that level. With emotions, you really have to be there. You know, you really have to be genuine. You really have to be on that level. And if you love, you can't hate and love the same person at the same time. It's very difficult. With my mind, I don't have to be on that level. With your mind, you can go very far. I can understand my enemy. A true intellectual loves to understand his enemy. Even though he can't stand the person. And he hates that person with every fiber of his being, every bone in his body. But what does it have to do with intellect? I can still wander with my mind. I can wander over to the enemy camp. And I can understand the enemy, put myself in their shoes. It's, 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 it's intellectually invigorating. Seeing another perspective, seeing two sides to every, every coin taking the right side and the left side and seeing the merits of every argument with your mind you can go very far you can travel very far you can understand things that you hate things that you can't stand but you can understand it but emotionally you can't be two places at the same time So you hate someone, you can't stand them, stand them. you can't suddenly switch it around and just start loving them and hugging them and kissing them that doesn't work that way so emotions are much more difficult Change. Well intellect, the intellect is flexible, it's abstract, it's detached. You can very flexible. You can wander very far. You can go very far with your intellect. So with your mind you can change. Your mind could become holy, even though you remain unholy, emotionally unholy. But with your mind you can understand holiness and you can go very far and perceive holiness and grasp holiness. That's a, that's, a very, that's a very interesting, uh, I guess in heaven, maybe in heaven it's not so. In heaven, whatever level you're at, that's the level you're at. In this world, maybe it's, a, it's an advantage that we have. We can go very far. We can go to places that are way beyond our level. If we only you can reach the level we are emotionally at, we would be very very limited so thank God Hashem gave us the Torah we can go very far with the Torah we can understand a lot we can understand things that are totally beyond our level and we can understand it and grasp it and perceive it and appreciate it and understand it and digest it and absorb it and even though it won't affect us emotionally it won't transform us emotionally we don't feel holy but we can understand holy our Chabad could be changed even though emotionally we don't have the power to change so a Hasidic master once said yes, that's true in heaven whatever level you're at that's the level you understand in this world you can talk about levels that are so beyond you (laughs) that are so beyond our emotional grasp emotional but the truth is the Chassid wants to aspire to be like the Tzaddik. The Tzaddik is the Jew who has transformed himself emotionally, not just intellectually. The Tzaddik lives; is genuine. He lives; he means it. He lives and breathes. Everything that he understands, it changes him. It transforms him emotionally. It transforms his whole personality. The Torah transforms him and changes him and inspires him and. Ins- so even though we are the Benini, we're not on that level, but we aspire to be like the Tzad. That's why we spend so much time in prayer. In prayer, we try at least for those few brief moments of prayer to be like the Tzad. We try to put our egos to sleep, to anesthetize our egos for a, quiet, quiet our egos for a while, just to get a taste of the Tzad, to experience, at least during prayer, we should experience Godliness. We should feel emotionally. We should feel God. We should be inspired by godliness. It should transform us, it should change us, it should move us. The idea to be moved, and that, take time, that takes time, that takes tremendous effort. That's why in the Hasidic teachings, it was never enough just to be an intellectual. As a matter of fact, they were very disdainful of intellectuals. Those who were cerebral intellectuals who were disconnected, abstract the emphasis was on the and the one who internalized it, who prayed, who tried to take it to heart, who tried to transform his emotions, transform his personality traits, transform his character traits. Take it to heart, be inspired, be moved, be touched by this concept. If the concept just remains an abstract concept and it doesn't move you and change you and inspire you and challenge you, then then it's, it's you know, that was actually looked down at in Hasidic, in the Chabad Hasidic, by the Hasidic masters and teachers, by the Rebis, the Rabbeim. So, but that's a much more difficult goal. It's like the story with the Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magad of Mizrich, the second leader of the Hasidic movement. He had a friend, before he became rabbi Rebbe, who they used to study Kabbalah together. And the Rebbe would spend hours in prayer. And his friend would pray very quickly. So his friend said, I don't understand. We study the same Kabbalah. We know the same Kabbalistic intentions. Yet you know, I die pretty quickly, and you, it takes hours and hours. What's the difference? You and I. The Rebbe smiled because his friend was a businessman. He used to study Torah a whole year, but twice a year he would go to the big market and he would buy a wholesale. Then he would come back and sell it, and then he would spend the rest of his time learning. So the Rebbe says, you know, you take two months out of the year to travel. Let me ask you, if it was up to you, if you had a choice, would you travel those two months? He says, no, it's such a waste of time. I would rather stay home and study those two months. The Rebbe says, I don't understand. Why do you have to travel? Why don't you just sit at home, close your eyes, and just imagine, imagine you're getting on your horse, close your eyes and imagine you're on your horse and imagine you're traveling and imagine you arrived you arrived at the big city and imagine you're talking to all your customers to all the wholesalers and you're buying and you're handling and you come to a price and you load your wagon and imagine you're driving back and imagine your home and imagine you sell the merchandise and believe me the whole thing would take you one hour what do you have to spend precious 30 days a whole month traveling and actually traveling and actually going there and buying and selling he says Rabbi come on that's that's. I would be traveling in my mind, but I, I have to do business, the real business. It would just be imagination; it wouldn't be real. The so says that's the difference between you and I. <laughs> You're praying; you know all the kabbalistic in, in, in you know all the kabbalistic intentions, but it's all imagination; it's all in your mind. He says, "I want to travel there. I want to go there. I want to be there." That takes time. There's no shortcuts. To actually be on that level, to experience that level, to be inspired, that takes, that's what prayer is. In prayer, you don't study anything new. When you study Torah, you're studying something new. Every day, you learn something new. In prayer, you're praying the exact same thing, the exact same words. But in prayer, you're trying to experience it. You're trying to take that that you already know intellectually, and you want to taste it. You want to experience it. You want to be moved by it. You want to be inspired by it. to hit home. It should evoke a response, an emotional response. You should love Hashem. Prayer is the service of the heart. The rabbis say, where does it say in the Torah you have to pray? It says you should serve God with your heart. Prayer is service of the heart. Prayer is taking everything that you know in your mind and bringing it to your heart. Your heart should be moved, inspired. It should warm your heart. That takes time. That There are no shortcuts. So that's the ideal. The ideal is the tzaddik. We aspire to be like a tzaddik, even though we can never truly be like a tzaddik. But at least for a few moments every day, we have to be inspired. But that's very difficult. Very difficult to change. So even though Hashem made it, gave us the gift of Torah, that we, by engaging our mind, our ordinary human minds, by engaging in Torah and something holy, we can transform, change our minds and transform our very minds into something divine and godly and holy. Even though emotionally we can't truly transform ourselves emotionally. We can understand holiness even though we don't feel holy. We don't experience. So that's the advantage of Taylor. Thus, we have two reasons. Continue. We have two reasons.
4: Thus, we have two reasons for the superiority of the mitzvah of Torah study A. It is practiced with the innermost soul garment, thought. B it transforms the actual soul faculties of Chabad themselves to
1: holiness. So firstly, it touches a much more intimate and deeper part of the soul, the inner garments of the soul, thought and speech, versus the mitzvah, which only affects the external garments of the soul, which is action. And in addition, it actually changes the soul faculties itself, the ego faculties the ego-souls, faculties of chabad, of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, by engaging in Torah study, the soul faculties, the ego-souls faculties, are actually transformed themselves into holiness. And that can only be accomplished through the studying of Torah, not through the mitzvah. So that's the superiority of studying of Torah over the mitzvah. And now he's going to give a third reason
4: Aside from this, there is another, far more important aspect to the superiority of Torah study over all other Mitzvotas. Based on the statement quoted above, chapter 23, from Tikkun Zohar that the 248 positive commandments are the 248 limbs of the king. Just as a limb of the human body is a receptacle for corresponding soul faculty, so is each mitzvah a receptacle for a corresponding expression of the Divine Will. Concerning Torah, however, it is written in Tikkunéh Zohar. Torah and the Holy One blessed behi, are entirely one, unlike mitzvah, which are merely lips. The Alter Rebbe now elucidates the difference. Just as, for example, in the case of a human being, the vitality of his 248 organs bears no comparison or similarity to the vitality in his brain, i.e. the intellect, which is divided into the three faculties of Chokmah, Dina, and Tad.
1: So even though every cell in the body, every organ is alive, it's not like a machine, it's not like a relationship of a machine, the electricity that moves a machine. The body is, the soul is not just electricity that moves the body. The body itself comes alive. Every cell in the body is alive. You don't know where the soul ends and the body begins. The body is transformed and becomes connected and united with the soul, completely united with the soul, becomes completely nullified and one and inseparable with the soul. But nevertheless, they're two separate entities. Because the soul existed before the body, and the soul will exist after the body, after the person dies and is separated from the body, the soul continues. And once the body is separated from the soul, the body becomes and turns into a corpse. Disintegrates. The body and the soul are two separate beings that unite. And when the soul touches the body, the body comes alive and becomes inseparable with the soul. True. But you can't compare that. The unity of the soul and the body to the unity of the soul and the soul's faculty, the soul's ability to think, to comprehend, to create, the creative ability, chachma, and wisdom, and then understanding, the analytical ability of the soul. And das, the ability to comprehend, the ability to concentrate and to focus, and to truly penetrate and to internalize. Because this connection between the soul and its abilities to comprehend are much more united, much more intimate than the connection between the soul and the body. Because the soul is energy and the body is material. They're actually opposites. But miraculously, they come together and, and the body comes alive. And they become inseparable and absolutely united. But nevertheless, the soul is the soul and the body is the body while the soul and its own ability to comprehend are truly inseparable. The body, in a certain sense, is like a garment of the soul. The soul can exist without the body. The soul once existed without the body, before the soul enters into the body. And the soul will continue to exist after the body dies. The soul will drop the, soul, the, the body like a garment. Container, the soul is still here. Matter of fact, they just did a study, scientists just did a study that people, many people who had near death experience actually, not near death experience, actually, they were clinically dead. And yet, the consciousness still worked. With all the properties of consciousness, they had clear thoughts when they came back to life. They had clear thoughts, organized thoughts. So, obviously consciousness, the soul, has nothing to do with the chemicals and the electric impulses. That's just the brain. That's just the body, the material. But the soul is is an entity in its own. It's consciousness. It's disembodied. It has nothing to do with the body. The body is just a vehicle, a vessel for the soul. But the soul has a life of its own. Consciousness is not the chemical impulses or the electrical impulses in the brain. The the soul, it's it's purely spiritual. It's a spiritual entity, a spiritual being you can't capture in a laboratory. The soul has a life of its own. It existed before the body and will continue to exist after the body, life after death, life before death. The soul is, is a life of its own. The soul is a soul and the body is a body. So yes, it's not like a garment because a garment you can discard. You can take, put it on your suit, take off your suit. The soul doesn't take off, can't just leave the body. From the moment you're born until the last moment, your last breath, you can't just... (laughs) <laughs> Take off your body and change bodies, and they become inseparable. They become one. But nevertheless, it's like a garment of the soul, an inseparable garment. But it's a garment. While the soul and the faculty of comprehension, and the soul's ability to comprehend and to be creative and to, to, to analyze and to internalize and the this is this is inseparable from the soul. So the unity within the soul and its comprehension is much deeper, much more intimate than the unity of the body and the soul. The soul could exist without the body. Once did, and it will. But the soul and its ability to comprehend are are inseparable. They're like one. But yes, the soul is undefined. The soul is much greater than just its ability to comprehend. But its ability to comprehend is not something external to the soul. It's not like a body to the soul. It's it's, it's a part and parcel of the soul. The soul, because the soul is perfect and the soul is whole, the soul, part of it is it has an ability to comprehend. The faculty of wisdom, understanding and knowledge. Consciousness. That's part and parcel of the soul. It's inseparable from the soul. So he's saying that's an analogy. That's the difference between Torah and Mitzvah. The mitzvah the Zohar calls God's organs. So yes, when you do a mitzvah, the physical object becomes like an organ. And you become like a tool. A tool and implement for God's will. So you become an inseparable... We become like God's body. Which become inseparable with God. But nevertheless, the unity of the body and soul is the closest unity. But nevertheless, it's not an absolute unity. Because the soul is a soul and the body is a body. They're not one and the same while the soul and its ability to comprehend is one and the same. The unity is much deeper. They are completely uniform. So when you, study, when you study Torah, Torah engages your mind, your intellect. So the unity that you accomplish, just like the unity between the soul and its ability to comprehend, when you study Torah, you become like God's mind. And God and His mind are one. So the unity that you accomplish between the your ego soul's faculties of comprehension and God become inseparable, become a true unity, an intimate unity, a much deeper unity than the unity that you accomplish by doing a mitzvah between your organ and between the object and God. You become an organ to God. But that's a, a unity, a very profound unity. But nevertheless, it's not an inseparable unity. But when you study Torah and you engage your mind, your mind becomes an inseparable unity from its soul. So you become one with the mind of God. You become inseparable unity. Your faculty, your ability to comprehend becomes inseparable with God. So that level of intimacy, that level of unity is a unity that far exceeds and far surpasses the level of unity that you can accomplish with God by doing a mitzvah. It's a much deeper unity. It's an absolute unity. So this is the third and most profound reason, profound explanation why the rabbis say that studying Torah is superior than all the other mitzvot combined. Because the unity that we accomplish with God, the unity that our Souls, ego, souls, faculties of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that we accomplish with God is much deeper, much more profound, much more intimate, much more unified with God than the unity that our organs can accomplish with God through mitzvah. You, you want to continue? Every limb of the body.
3: Every limb of the body is, of course, bound to the soul which provides it with life. Yet there are two separate entities which have been joined together. It is otherwise, however, in the relationship between one's intellect and his soul. The intellect is an extension and a part of the soul itself.
1: It's not like a garment of the soul the soul has added. The body was added to the soul. And there was a time the body is taken away from the soul. You can't take away the soul's ability to comprehend from the soul. It's part and parcel of the soul. The soul has the ability to comprehend. It's not the essence of the soul. The soul is much greater than just its ability to comprehend but it's part and parcel. You can't separate it. You can't divide the two. It's, it's an absolute unity. Thus?
3: <laughs> Thus, its unity with the soul is not that of two separate entities which have been joined, but of two components of a whole. This difference between the limbs of the intellect illustrated, the difference between the other mitzvah and Torah study, as the author of the continuous. Just as it is in the case of human beings, so too, by way of analogy, allowing for the qualification that any comparison between human and divine traits must be distant. However, by of degrees, it is with regards to the illumination of ends of light clothed in the mitzvot of action, compared to the illumination of ends of light clothed in the Chabad faculties of one immersed in the wisdom of Torah. An illumination commensurate with the level of each man's intellect and his grasp of Torah. To the extent that his intellect grasps the Torah which he studies, it is united with godliness, with a unity comparable to that of one's intellect with his soul. Herein, then, lies the superiority of Torah study over other mitzvot, even over charity. Torah study affects a much higher level of unity with godliness than do the mitzvot of action. Although one grasps Torah only as it is clothed in the physical terms, for example, the law concerning two men and cloth the garment, or ones who trade a cow or an How then can it be said that through study of such law one attains this lofty level of unity with godliness? Yet the Torah has been likened to water descending from a high place. The water on the lower level is exactly the same as it was on a higher level. Similarly, the laws of Torah, although they have descended, quote-unquote, to deal with ordinary physical situation, still consist of Hashem's will and wisdom. Thus, in studying Torah, one is united with Hashem's will and wisdom, and thereby with Hashem himself, as discussed above.
1: Torah is compared to water, because it's the exact same thing, just like water. It's the exact same water that was on high, that falls to the lowest point. So, too, the Torah, even though the Torah deals with legalities and laws that the rational human mind could comprehend, but nevertheless, it doesn't lose any of its divinity. It's still God's divine and infinite wisdom that's enclosed in the Torah. So when you study Torah, any Torah, any portion of the Torah, you're actually studying the divine, internalizing the divine, and you're becoming united with the divine mind, with Hashem Himself, which is absolutely one with God Himself. And that unity is an absolute unity. Your mind becomes inseparable and becomes part of the divine and the divine mind, the infinite mind. So you become completely unified with God in the most intimate way, inseparable with God. So that's the tremendous uh, enthusiasm that a Jew has to study Torah, because it connects your thought and speech to God. It changes your mind, changes your ego soul's ability to comprehend, Into something divine and holy, and the intimacy that you achieve with God, you also become completely unified with God, inseparable from God. You become part, part of God. When you do a mitzvah, you become a chariot. You become an implement, a tool. But you can't become completely unified with God when you study Torah. However, you become completely unified with God. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya
0: project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.